Well, good morning. It is so good to have you all here and to have those of you joining us online and in the chapel service. And do we have any kids in here? A few? All right. Great to have you kids in here. Yeah. I'm going to be uh, uh, telling a story a little bit later in my uh, sermon about a time when Jesus was talking to all of his disciples. And we actually have a picture of that right here for you kids that you can color during the sermon. Yeah, and you can figure that out. Um, We uh, also have like all the water stuff for the kids. They should enjoy that. But I have heard that it's getting um, the, the artificial turf or whatever is getting a little hot. And so they should just keep wearing their shoes while they're walking around uh, on that. So just a little safety concern there uh, with that. Well, um, so it's kind of the kickoff to our ministry season here. And I wanted to just uh, have a Sunday to, to really talk about just our vision for uh, what I'm going to call our way of living out our mission in the coming uh, ministry season here, uh, the vision for how we want to go about uh, doing that. And because I think that's really important uh, in all of this. And I love our mission and our vision. You know, the idea of accepted, loved, free, I think is such a powerful thing. Um, And as we begin to discuss this, uh, I I want us to look at a passage found in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. I want to just read this uh, to you as we think about uh, where we're going in here. Let me just read it from right here. Right here. Um, It says this in uh, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you know, when we think about just the struggles uh, that we face in life, we just think about our world, right? There's this thing that I want you to to just remember we are rooted in, and it is um, that we have the light of life. Right? That that is what Christ has given us, is Christ in us. We have the light of life. And may his light, right, lead the way. Like, that's, we step into that with this understanding of the way forward is to let Jesus light the way in and through us uh, in this. Um, And so when we think about this, uh, and we think about some of the different struggles and stuff we face, and I'm going to start with the kids here, right? Uh, Because I bet you as kids, you've had struggles maybe with your brother or your sister or a sibling, right? Like a moment when, uh, I don't know, maybe they borrow some of your toys and like they don't ask or they, you know, they, uh, they don't treat them really well. And how does that make you feel? Like you get frustrated. And I bet, I bet some of you actually have siblings or brothers or sisters that do that repeatedly. And it gets really aggravating, right? Or you're in school someplace and somebody cuts in line or they do something. And there's this thing where you just like, like ever have a moment where you want to, you know, yell at them and say, you know, get back in line. Or you want to just, you know, push them gently. Or maybe not so gently. I don't know, right? It's just, right? There's this thing of like, when we face those struggles, face those problems, like we want to get control of it. We want to fix it in there. Now, uh, for all the grown-ups in the room too, right? Um, 
I bet you have moments in life where things are frustrating. Maybe you're watching something on the news and you're just like, right? Or there's something that happens at work or uh, where you go to school. And there can be this thing where you just like feel the energy and it just like, and maybe you want to give a little push on something, right? Or you want to speak some words, right? You want to get control of something in what's happening. Uh, and, you know, kids, this is a good time for you to think back. Remember all those times where uh, mom and dad maybe said something to you like, okay, just because you're mad doesn't mean you get to yell or just say whatever you want. Well, you know, the same thing goes for grown-ups too, right? <laughs> right? Grown-ups struggle with that sort of thing too because we get pulled in these moments where it's just like, ah, like I just, but here's the thing. When we face those struggles and we see them everywhere, whether it's at a personal level or whether it's in the world or at work, wherever it is, um, we're trying to fix something, right? There's something there and we want it to change. We want it to be different and we start pushing. We want to find a better way to do it. Um, But here's the thing. How we go about doing that really matters, Um, Whenever we get pulled into moments where we feel like we've got to speak louder or we've got, you know, we've got to push on something in some way, how we go about trying to make things better um, is something that isn't just a struggle for kids and it isn't even just a struggle for, you know, us as individuals. This can be a struggle for churches, right? Because churches exist within the world and there's things that we want to do as a church and there's things that we see that maybe we don't like or that we want to change we want to see it operate in a better way and and how we go about trying to make change it really matters right there every church is called in one way or another to be a part of advancing the gospel in in whatever part of the world they're in but how we do that uh, matters and and here's why we can do it in a way where maybe it doesn't end up doing everything we would want we can end up having a way that at the end no matter what we achieve it begins leaving people behind and that's why this is important. And I, that's why I want to talk about this. Because as we think about this next year of ministry and the things that we want to do as a church and the things that we would want to advance, I mean, it's wonderful and beautiful things. And we want to make a difference in the world around us and globally. But how we do it, the way we go about doing that matters. Because so often in our world, um, even with the best of intentions, We try to advance something, but somebody gets left behind. People that we wouldn't want left behind end up getting left behind, and that's the problem. And you know, when you look at Jesus, right, if we want to say we want his light to be the thing that leads us forward, it's important to understand Jesus had a different way uh, about him. He had a different way of moving things forward. Uh, I think about there was a time when he had a run-in with uh, what was called a tax collector. And, you know, when you think about tax collectors, um, they're not necessarily the most popular people, even today, right? And, and if you're a tax collector right now, you may be going, yeah, I just tell people I'm an accountant, you know, <laughs> it's just, right? Um, but it's important to know, in Jesus' day, in the first century, tax collectors that were a part of the Roman Empire, um, 
no matter how frustrated you may be with uh, anyone who works for the IRS around you, probably nothing close to what it was like in the first century. In the first century, tax collectors essentially got to commit extortion, but legally. They got to go in and, ex and exact taxes from people um, uh, just in, in punitive ways. And Rome loved it because it meant that they just kept getting to milk the system. They just got to pull as much as they wanted away from people. But one of the things that Rome did with this that made this such an issue was Rome, instead of just sending like Roman leaders in to be tax collectors in all the different lands where they had conquered people, they had people uh, from those nations that they had conquered be the tax collectors for them. So what it meant was, in Jesus' day, if you were a Jewish person and you were felt like robbed by Rome for all the money they were taking and the way they pulled taxes was, uh, it was, it was like extortion. It was done by fellow Jews. Like, and it felt like such a betrayal. And so when they saw tax collectors, they were like, like, you're a part of the problem. You're a part of the enemy. Like you, what you're doing, right, is wrong because they used people to get money from people and they didn't care about what happened to the people they were getting the money from. And so then we have this story. It's found in Mark chapter two. And one day Jesus is walking along. Um, and it says this in Mark chapter 2. It says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, who was a tax collector, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And I want you to just picture this moment, right? Jesus got all of his disciples around him, some of his other followers, and they probably going down a road. They come around a corner, and there's a tax collecting booth, right? Uh, and and Levi's going to, like, extract all this money from him. But he's also Jewish, and it's like, you know, we've got Jesus on our side. Like, what is Jesus going to do in this moment? Like, what would you do? You know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the way they treated guys like Levi was um, they, were, they were to be treated like a scourge. They were to be treated um, in a way that would remove them from every vestige of Jewish society they could possibly do. You weren't allowed to eat with them. It's like, we're going to draw a line in the sand, right? You're, if you're going to go to the side of the Romans, right, um, we're not going to eat with you. We're not going to fellowship with you. We're not going to, we don't, you get to be someone we don't care about. And here's Jesus, a rabbi. And he walks up to Matthew's or Levi's tax collecting booth and he invites him to become a follower of his. I mean, Levi probably had never had a, like a rabbi even talk with him unless it was, you know, yelling at him. And Jesus says, walk with me. Be my follower. Like, there, like there's a place in my kingdom for you. And people must have just been like, what? Like, what do you mean? In fact, Jesus goes back to uh, Levi's house and says, you know what? Invite some, of, invite some of your friends, like other tax collectors. And it's, there's this interesting moment where the religious leaders see like this dinner party that starts spilling out into the front yard of, the, of Levi's house as they're all showing up. And their response is like, what kind of rabbi would eat with sinners? Like it's just, but it's interesting how Jesus is trying to advance his gospel how he treats Levi, 
Like he treats him with this kind of love and acceptance that is, it's bewildering to so many people. Another moment when Jesus uh, is, he's teaching and there's this huge crowd of people and, they, and they're kind of uh, swarming all around him. And as he's teaching, uh, the passage says that there is this woman who has an issue with bleeding. And, and it's a way of explaining she has this particular type of disease that would have been seen in the first century as being ceremonially or ritually unclean. In other words, there was something wrong with her spiritually is what they believed. They believed that there was this connection between her physical well-being and her spiritual well-being. And whether it was because there was sin in her life or because God just didn't like her, right? Um, she was unclean. And because of that, anytime she went out into public, if she got around and people got too close, one of the things required of her was she had to tell people, I'm unclean, right? You got to know, I'm unclean. Can you imagine walking, you know, down the sidewalk, walking into a classroom, walking into the grocery store and having to tell people that, you know, I'm unclean. I'm unclean spiritually. I'm clean. And it was kind of this warning that they had to do because other people didn't want to be around them. Like, they were afraid of them. I don't want to catch whatever you've got, right? If there's something about you that God doesn't like, I don't, like, I don't want to associate with you. I don't even want to get close to you for fear that maybe, like, you know, maybe it'll rub off on me. Maybe God all of a sudden won't like me in this moment. And here's this woman. And she reaches out in this crowd, uh, and she hasn't been saying anything to anybody, which was a total violation, and she reaches out in desperation and grabs just the hem of the garment of this coat that Jesus was wearing. Um, and Jesus makes this interesting response in Luke chapter 8, verse 45. Um, he makes this simple statement, who touched me, Jesus asks, who touched me? And all of a sudden, everybody would have seen this woman, and she was on the ground. And she grabs his coat. It's like, everyone's like, whoa, she's busted, right? Jesus is like, who touched me? And when he sees who it is who's just touched the hem of his garment, right? This is like, because there are just lines that need to be drawn, right? And we might expect Jesus in this moment, right? Like, okay, this is a great time to, like, do a little lesson on morality here. A little lesson on, the, on theology, you know, what you need to believe. What's the issue is with her, right? You know, everyone get back or something, right? Because that's what the religious leaders would have done. But in this moment, Jesus pauses. And he heals her. Because... In that moment to do anything else, think of what that would have done to her. Like, it would have left her behind. Like, it would have left her in her shame or embarrassment, in her desperation. And again and again, you see Jesus do this sort of thing. Uh, one last one. There's a moment where there's a woman who was caught in adultery. Kind of one of the worst expressions of, like, what anyone could be caught with. And she's caught in adultery. And there's this moment where some of the religious leaders take this woman and they're like, okay, this is our chance to force the issue with Jesus because, um, right, you've got to take a stand on something. You've got to draw a line somewhere on this thing. Um, and so they catch her. And, and there's this moment where they, where they set up this scenario with Jesus. And it's found in John chapter uh, 8, I believe. And uh, 
This is the religious leaders, and they say this. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now think about this for a moment. They are quoting Scripture. This is what Scripture says, Jesus. And if you're from God, right, you've got to like Scripture. You've got to follow Scripture. Here's what it says. Now what do you say? Right? And they're trying to push on Jesus. They're trying to force him to align in some way of how he's going to work this situation out. And what Jesus does in this moment is he doesn't draw a line in the sand. He doesn't take a stance that leaves this woman behind. He actually writes in the sand. But it's interesting what he says to them. Famous line, he says, how about this? Maybe he didn't say that exactly that way, but that's how I picture it. How about this? How about, how about the person with no sin in their life? That person should be the one that casts the first stone. See? And all of a sudden, there's this moment where instead of saying, okay, here's the moment, to take a stand on sexual purity. But to do that in that way, in that moment, would leave her behind. And there's this thing that you see with Jesus is that he's constantly doing something different. And it's because he's rooted in something different. And that, I want you to catch this. You know, so often what we are rooted in in this world when we, like, that helps uh, form how we approach something our way, how we want to fix a problem or get control of something, oftentimes comes because we're rooted in some way in something that we're afraid of or there's a sense of scarcity or there's just a feeling that we need to get control of it. And we see this all the time. It's in the world, right? The world, the fights and the things that we get into and even you see this at times with churches and the stances and all of this stuff. So much of it comes out of a way that is rooted in fear or scarcity or a need to have control. But Jesus, it's like he's rooted in something different. His way is rooted in a kind of acceptance and love and freedom. And because of that, he comes at everything differently. And there's a place where he actually describes his way with crystal clarity. And that's what I want us to look at this uh, passage. This is found in John chapter 13. And so kids, that drawing that you were given when you came in, that, that drawing is of this scene that comes out of uh, this passage here in John chapter 13. Um, so in John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples, with his closest followers, and they're going to share this meal right, in the upper room. This is the night of his arrest. And he's been alluding more and more to um, that his way is more revolutionary than what anyone has ever thought, right? No one fully understands it. But tonight he wants to bring clarity to his way, what he is wanting. And these words that he's going to offer they're not just words for him. They're not just something for us to go, okay, I, I've memorized it, now I know it. These are words that should affect the, uh, the mission of our lives, the vision of every church, right? This is, it gives us a way to look at how we would go about living our lives in this. And so I want to look at this. Um, 
Again, found in John chapter 13, verse 34. And he says, he says this. He says, a new command I give you. And I want you to picture the disciples. A new command? It's like, oh man, Jesus. You're like, you know, we've got those other two commands that you gave us. Like, why a third one? Um, sometimes we get mixed up in this passage. We read this passage and we, we don't realize how revolutionary uh, his words really are. Because sometimes... We take this idea of a new command I give you is like, well, Jesus must have like a great big long list of commands and he's just adding another one to the list, right? This is number whatever on the list. Not what's going on here. He's talking about something completely different. In fact, what he's talking about here is a command to supersede all commands, right? And so he goes on next. He says, a new command I give you and then he says this, love one another. And again, I'm sure the disciples are like, okay, we've heard you talk about love before. We know this love thing is important to you, right? We've got like the golden rule. We've got the great commandment, love God and love others. But Jesus isn't done yet here, right? In fact, what we'll learn here is that the golden rule is like a warm-up for this command. The great commandment, love God, love others, um, is pointing toward what this command is all about. What he says next, it, it's like, in fact, when I read this next part, I want you to, even if you know what's coming next, right? Even if you've read it a thousand times, I want you to think about his next words as if you're hearing them for the very first time. And here's what he says, right? He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now think about this for a second. As I have loved you. Not like how your neighbors loved you. Not like, let me give you a definition for love and, and go live out the definition. Um, not even how you want to be loved. But how I've loved you. Now, think about the disciples. And most often when we think about this, right, we know that this is the night of his arrest and we think about like, okay, he's gonna go to the cross and he's sacrificing his life for that. But don't forget, everyone in that room that is hearing these words, they don't know, they don't fully understand what's about to come. But you know what they do have? They have three years of having walked with Jesus and how he had loved them day after day after day in the most practical ways. Think of Matthew. Matthew, that guy I talked about, that tax collector, or Levi, he was in that room. He was one of Jesus' disciples. Can you imagine what it was like for Levi? Like, okay, I remember when no rabbi would even look at me unless I forced the issue because I was trying to get taxes from them. I remember what it was like when people wouldn't even let me, you know, in the village uh, to, to have a meal. And Jesus asked me to be his follower. Think about that. See, this, this is a level of love that, like, this is Jesus' level of love. There's no level above this, right? This is the highest level. And what he's saying is, this becomes the new standard, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is Jesus' way. 
In fact, Jesus will go on right after this and say, in fact, this is how the people of the world will know that you're actually speaking and advancing something for me. Whatever you say, no matter how wonderful it is, no matter how wonderful your programs, uh, no matter, you know, what you say about salvation, no matter what you say about all of that, the way they will know that what you're saying rings true and from me, from God, is if you live this out because this is my way. What he's really saying is, I want my way to become your way. See, that's powerful. So when we think about, like, what are we going to be doing in this next season and how are we going to live this out, the way we go about all of that, right, is Jesus' way. It, like, this is why, and it means that we're rooting this in something different than the things that the world roots all of its purposes and things in. That this doesn't, we're not going to root ourselves in fear and scarcity and the need to control things. Like, Jesus, it's crazy how often Jesus just, like, he acts um, not out of fear, but out of love. There's so many times when he's with other people and you're like, man, he could take control because Jesus could because like he could do stuff nobody else could do. And yet it's surprising how Jesus never controls people, never forces people, but he loves to walk with them. He loves to invite them to walk with him, to follow him. And that's how we're to love. Jesus does the most remarkable thing, doesn't he? The way he walks it out is no one gets left behind. No one gets left behind because Jesus leaves them behind. The only people are those that choose not to go with him. But everybody else is invited to be with him in this. It becomes this beautiful thing. And the reason this is so important, the reason this is so important is because when we try to advance the gospel, when we try to live out everything that it means as the church, if we don't do it this way, we leave people behind. How many of you know someone who's been left behind? Right? There's somebody you care about. And there's some issue in their life. And you have watched as that issue is left, like they don't feel welcome in the church. They feel left behind in the church. How many of you know somebody who struggled? Maybe they've struggled with doubt or something, or maybe there's, there's something that they have struggled with and it's brought them shame or something, and it's like, and everything in them says, I'm not welcome in the church. And you're like, but this, there's no better place for them to be than here. You know how we reach those people? It's not by taking stands and drawing lines in the sand and preaching lots of theology and forcing them, right? It's by loving them the way Jesus loved us because that's our way. I want you to think of the gospel. Think of the gospel is like a beautiful, beautiful song that just gets played, a song that's made to capture your heart and your mind and draws you in, right? How that song is sung or played matters, doesn't it? Because that's how music works in this. I want to illustrate this to you, um, just to bring it home, right? Um, there's, a, there's a song that came out recently written by a Travis Green. 
Um, it is a worship song that we're uh, going to be doing uh, here. But Travis Green uh, wrote this song, um, and, he, and he writes it from an interesting perspective, and it's got all of this really beautiful, rich stuff in it. But because it's a song, how it gets sung matters. And to prove it to you, uh, I'm, I, wanna, I want you to hear this song. In fact, I'm going to ask the kids in here. I'm going to ask for your help here, okay? So kids, um, I'm going to do something here. We're going to ask, you and I are going to ask Siri to sing this song, okay? So, and if you're a grown-up and you don't want your phone going off in the next moment, going, yes, how can I help you? Just know that that might happen. You can put it on airplane mode or do whatever you want to do with it, okay? But kids, here's what we're going to do. Here's the name of the song. The name of the song is I Am Good, You Are Loved. And I'll tell you why it's named that a little bit later. But the name of the song is I Am Good, You Are Loved. So kids, here's what we're going to do. When I say ready... I want you to say real loud, hey Siri, sing the song, I am good, you are loved. Got that? Okay, you ready? Here we go. Say it with me, kids. Ready? Hey Siri, sing the song, I am good, you are loved. See what happens. Singing Good and Loved by Travis Green. Yeah. Through your story is my fingerprint. Yeah. In the valley there is confidence. In the shadow I will be your strength. One thing's for sure. I am your Lord. Yes, I am. Powerful I am, song. I am. Through the chaos, I will be your joy. When you're finished I have so much more. In the waiting I'm an open door. Stand still and know. I yeah. am your Lord. There'll be times when you're up and times when you're down. I'm never too far. Don't get too Just emotional. Just look around and you'll find me. I'm Sorry. by your side. Arms open wide. I am good. You are loved. Oh, I am good. You are loved. That's my favorite oh, part. Oh, yes. You are loved. Oh, you are loved. Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, maybe, maybe you were like, oh, that was a little flat, right? Like, you're not like, oh, I feel so close to God right now, right? And here's the thing. It's not because of the words of the song. It's not because of what the song captures or where it's pointed. It's because we had Siri do the song, right? And she's, that's just not what she's good at, apparently, right? It was more like she just read it, right? It's, it's how you sing the song matters. And here's the thing, friends. The gospel without love is like a song without music. When the gospel is not sung beautifully with love out of Jesus' way, rooted in acceptance and love and freedom, it leaves people behind. And not because there's something wrong with the gospel, but because of how it was sung. I want you to listen to part of that song again. Only this time, um, Melissa and Brittany and Ezra are going to come, and uh, they're, they're going to just sing a part of this song and just see if it doesn't capture something else in your heart here. Through you. 
your story is my fingerprint in the valley there is confidence in the shadow i will be your strength one thing's for sure i am your See? <clears throat> A little different than Siri, isn't it? Same song, but the way it was sung, right? It was sung with emotion and feeling and with music that pulls you in, right? I love the line about, you know, if you ever feel like you're alone, just like look around and I am there, right? This reassurance that God is there. How we live out in uh, the mission of this church, it matters. It matters. And I want us to think about that in this next year. I want to give you another example of this, but in a very practical way. Um, and it's by someone that you actually loved um, and made a, quite a substantial difference in his life and in the life of his wife. He wrote me an email a year ago a little more than a year ago. In fact, it was right before we launched the, the kind of the rewording of our mission. And uh, he and his wife had been a part of churches for most of their uh, lives. Um, but they, what they had experienced again and again and again was like the gospel, like church in a way that was, it was without music. And it did something. He, he wrote this to me. He says, uh, we came to, to Casas uh, from the Chicago area. We, uh, we were both from different religious backgrounds, different denominations. He says, speaking of what came before, he said, I became frustrated with the church. After spending 26 years there, I knew if I was to grow in my faith, I had to leave them. I had stagnated. I was beat down and my spirit was almost crushed. And it was because he just, he talked about, it, he just kept trying harder and harder to do the right thing and be the right kind of person. And yet it just, it kept, 
It was always about the work that needed to be uh, done. He said at one point, it was, it was like walking on pins and needles, always trying to please God, always trying to keep the rules, always another rule that had to be followed in this thing. All, but it was all out of fear. It was all out of fear. Um, he goes on, he said, uh, I was uh, traveling down Lambert Road and note, and this was right after they had moved here. I had traveled down uh, Lambert Road and noticed the small Casa sign at the entrance road to the church. Somehow I was drawn to it and later looked up your website. I liked what I read and a few weeks later we attended. We immediately felt a sense of acceptance being greeted uh, out front at the greeting station. The greeters showed us how glad they were uh, that we were there, and we instantly felt accepted. I love that he uses the word accepted before he even knew that, like, we had T-shirts with that and, you know, and all that stuff was coming out. Um, the greeters showed us into the auditorium and really made us feel at home and welcome. I love this. That is rare. In many past similar experiences, I always felt like an outsider who somehow penetrated the fortress wall. Once inside, we immediately felt at ease. There was such a great vibe, I love that word, such a great vibe. We took our seats and observed. People seemed so happy to be there. And he was surprised by that. <laughs> like It's like, wow. Uh, another time I was talking uh, to Tony and he was just like, and it was like they liked each other too. Like, you know, we're just getting crazy around here. But that's because there was a way to you that he and his wife were experiencing. And it was just love. Love was your way in this. He goes on and he says, the worship service was amazing. I've never experienced that type of song service and it touched my heart. I teared up at the point at that point because I felt I had connected to something special and unique. He says, you spoke that day on getting off the treadmill of religion. I had been on that treadmill for a long time and it got me nowhere. Somehow God had the right message for me at the right time. I know that the Spirit guided me to Casas because I, I was uh, ready to give up and become one of the many who say they are spiritual but don't attend church. I knew we found a safe place and one that would help me repair my relationship with my Savior. Thank you. And he experienced this thing where he came into your midst and again and again experienced this kind of love that just kept pulling him back toward life and relationship with God. And friends, that's what happens like, that's what happens when the gospel gets played well. When like a song, like it is sung well. And the way Jesus says that we sing that song well is when we love one another the way he loved us. So let me end with this challenge. Here's my challenge. As we think of this next year and the coming year and what we're going to do as a church, because there's going to be lots of things that we're going to do. Here's my challenge for us as a church, that we will walk with people and love them where they are. That's it. That's our way. That we, just like Jesus, walk up and see people. And I want you to think about the people 
that so often feel like there's no place for them in here. People that just, whether it's they just feel like, you know, I don't know all that Bible stuff, and so I'm sure I wouldn't be welcome in there. I don't dress the way they do. I don't behave the way they do. There's some, I'm sure there's some, they've got all of these reasons why they think they've been left behind. And we don't want that, right? And the way we overcome that is not by force, not by taking stands, not by, it is simply by loving one another and them the way Jesus has loved us. So this next year, we're going to walk with people and love them where they are. And we're going to do that instead of taking stands and leaving people behind, right? Because we want to love people that they hear the beautiful music of what the gospel is all about. We, in this coming year, will let the light of Jesus be the thing that shows us our way. Now, before we close out here, I want to ask the worship team to come back out here because I want you to hear that song in its fullness. And one of the beautiful things about this song, I want to tell you, is that, you know, most often songs are written uh, especially uh, worship songs. And this is a great thing. But most often, they're written from a perspective of how we feel about God. They're written from a perspective of our adoration and our worship towards God. But you know, it's interesting in the Psalms in the Old Testament, oftentimes they would do this thing that would draw people in in a unique way. They would write it from a perspective of God's perspective, of how God thought of you and you and you, and me. And sometimes when we hear a song that way, it equally draws us in. So I want you to hear this song again one more time, and then I'm going to come out and close this out this morning. story is my fingerprint in the valley there is confidence in the shadow I will be your strength one thing's for sure I am your Lord yes I
So no matter what comes or goes, one thing that you must know is that I am good. You are loved. And it's is covered by the one who was. And it's you're covered by love. What was? And it's is covered by the one who was. And it's you're covered by so good to have all of you here this morning. And uh, before we close, just let me say, if you're new visiting a guest, we've never had a chance to shake hands or meet, I'm going to be right over there. Would love to meet you. Um, go have fun outside. The weather is cool and brisk, I hear. Maybe not. Uh, but uh, with your kids, uh, make sure they've got their shoes on if they're on the artificial turf or concrete just so they don't burn their feet. Uh, may God be with you and bless you and shine his face upon you. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.